Welcome to Forward Filmmaker, a podcast from FilmHub. I'm Max Sanders. You may know me from my podcast, Buzz in the Tower, where I discuss my favorite 80s films. But this one is different. The film industry is changing, and filmmakers must adapt. On Forward Filmmaker, we'll be talking with directors and producers about the pains and opportunities facing the modern filmmaker. Joining us today is Emmy-winning filmmaker Akira Bach, who has been directing shorts, documentaries, and music videos since high school. Growing up in San Juan Batista, California, he was greatly influenced by neighbors who ran the famous bilingual Chicano theater company, El Teatro Campesino. Akira's films also reflect his strong ties to his own Japanese heritage and his passion for music. Among them are the PBS documentary, Masters of Modern Design, The Art of the Japanese American Experience, as well as Atomic Cafe, which delves into the 70s LA punk scene, and the feature film, The Crumbles, an indie rock comedy about an up-and-coming band. Akira is also the director of the Media Arts Center at the Japanese American National Museum. He currently has multiple secret projects in the works. Today, we'll be talking about how he infuses music and culture into film. This podcast is brought to you by FilmHub, the number one film distribution platform. Join thousands of filmmakers who are keeping their rights and getting paid on time. Submit your film today at filmhub.com and have it streamed on Amazon Prime Video, IMDb TV, Tubi, the Roku Channel, Plex, and dozens more. Akira, welcome to Forward Filmmaker. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So your films have this strong tie to music and individualism, from creating music videos to making docs about Tokyo-based record label owners or like other movies like Giant Robot, which is about art curators and ma- magazine creators. Where does this interest in these subjects come from? Well, I actually blame all of my interests on where I grew up, which was in a very small town in Northern California. It's called San Juan Batista. Have you heard of it? I have not. <laughs> okay, it's a tiny town. There's only about less than 2,000 people there. And it's famous for a couple of things. Um, one is that there's a mission there. And another is that Alfred Hitchcock uh, filmed Vertigo there. Oh, no way. Yeah, so he shot in San Juan, San Juan Batista and San Francisco. Those were the two locations. So a lot of filmmakers will make a pilgrimage there to you know check it out and the, the film history. So maybe you can do that one day. <laughs> oh, for sure. The master of the thriller from the 60s. I got to pay homage at some point. Yes. And so growing up in that small town, I grew up right next door to um, a really amazing theater company called El Teatro Campesino. Have you heard of that? I have not. (laughs) Enlighten me. (laughs) Okay. So it was started back in the 60s by Luis Valdez. And Luis is, um, well, he's currently a filmmaker, playwright, um, uh, uh, theater director, and he started out creating these productions in the fields of Delano, California, with Cesar Chavez, uh, along with United Farm Workers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so he came out of you know that that movement for the improvement of of uh, working conditions for for farm workers, and they created agitprop theater, right? And so at a certain point, they moved from Delano to San Juan Batista. And they opened up a theater, eventually, that was right next door to my parents' house. Oh, my right? God. <laughs> yeah. So they took over this old packing shed and uh, converted it into a 100-seat theater. And 
So every weekend there would be these productions going on there. And I would just walk next door, literally right next door, and check out the plays. And I also had the benefit of being um, the same age as Luis Valdez's oldest son, Anawak. And he has he has two younger sons, uh, Kinan and Lakin. And they, you know, they're all in the same, we're all in the same age range. So we all grew up um, putting on plays, um, making videos, you know, from music videos to short films to like Saturday Night Live kind of spoofs, a lot of parody kind of silly stuff, you know, kind of stuff you do when you're in high school. Um, So that was like hugely influential for me. And the other thing that happened during that time period is Luis wrote and directed the the movie La Bamba. Lou Diamond Phillips. No way. It's one of my favorites. Yep. And Isai Morales and yeah. <laughs> a lot of other great, great actors in that piece. Um, and I got to be an extra in that film. So it was amazing to be able to watch the, the film production process, you know, like on a Hollywood level. Sure. Growing up in a really small town. Um, so that was also very inspiring for me. The other major interest that I had at that time was uh, was music and playing in bands. And, mm-hmm. and so I started doing that in about the eighth grade and continued to do that all the way through high school and through college and post-college. So that's really where my interest in the arts came from. Sure. And I'm going to have to look for you as an extra next time I watch La Bamba. <laughs> yeah, check out. I'm in the high school scenes, so Got it. you'll get some emails from me. I'll be like, "Which I, scene? What exact moment?" <laughs> I, I look like a completely different person, though. That was ages ago. So <laughs> we all looked different back then. <laughs> so there's also this powerful, reoccurring uh, focus on Asian artistic culture in your films, whether it's woodworking or architectural creators and masters of modern design and various other forms of art and literature. What draws you to stories about Asian artists? Well, you know, I'm I'm Japanese American, right? I'm I'm actually half Japanese. Um, my mom is third generation Japanese American. My grandparents, my Japanese grandparents, were born in Hawaii, and my great grandparents immigrated to Hawaii from Japan. So, so I have that side of the family, and then on my dad's side, he was Hungarian and Irish. Um, so, you know, I'm this mix of of different backgrounds. But um, because of where I grew up, again, and essentially being raised by my grandma, she's, she's the one that took care of me um, most of the time, I have this very strong Japanese influence in my life, you know. Uh, so it's always, you know, drawn me to Japanese culture, Japanese traditions and arts. And I spent a year in Japan in my early 20s. Um, well, I was teaching English, but I was I was actually there to you know explore the culture, explore my my own personal heritage, and sure, and look into the arts and all that. Um, so yeah, that's that's where it came from originally, and of course, you know, I I don't want to isolate myself or my thinking um, or my interest to just Japanese culture. So like more broadly, I I you know I have an interest in in other Asian cultures as well. The way you explore kind of the artistic nature of a lot of different subjects is really neat. You're not pigeonholed to just, here's, you know, someone's painting or photography. It's just basically anyone who's creative, you seem to make a documentary about. 
Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's whoever I learn about or whoever, um, you know, some producer or curator uh, wants me to do a piece about. So it's, I, I've been very lucky in that respect in, in terms of just being able to be turned on to different artists and, you know, meet a lot of different artists. Sure. So what do you love about documentary filmmaking? Uh, meeting new people, you know, mm. meeting new people, um, going to new places, um, shooting in locations that I would have never imagined that I would have been in before. Uh, I think that one of the early reasons that I got into documentary filmmaking was specifically to meet people and make friends. And um, I, I don't think I was consciously doing that, but mm -hmm. I was always carrying a camera around with me. And um, like when I moved to Los Angeles in the like mid 90s or so, um, I was introduced to the East LA uh, music and, and art scene. And I was always bringing my camera to different events and, you know, shooting whatever was happening uh, from the bands that were playing to, you know, different artistic performances of whatever, you know, whatever kind was going on. A lot of poetry, theater, all mm -hmm. different kinds of stuff. And so, yeah, being able to interview these people, um, you know, allowed me to get to know them. And eventually, with some of them, I ended up making music videos for, for those particular bands. So it, it, it was, you know, a great way to, <laughs> to become a part of this scene and, yeah, sure. to, you know, to make friends, really. Yeah. What was your favorite location that you went to for these documentaries? Uh, there have been a lot, but I would say, okay, so there's two. Uh, the first one is Veracruz down in Mexico. Mm -hmm. uh, I shot a short documentary there about the Jarocho music scene, um, which, you know, ha has been going on for decades. And there, at, at the time that we filmed that, there was really a resurgence that was happening. And it's just a beautiful setting down there along, you know, the Caribbean coast, that, that yeah. part of Mexico. And I would say that the other place that I went to more recently was Hiroshima. Oh, wow. And, yeah, so I shot there for about a week. Uh, this was right before the pandemic, and I had never spent that much time in Hiroshima. I had been through there before and gone to the Peace Memorial Park and seen the museum and that kind of thing. Um, but just getting to know the city, I, I really fell in love with the city because it, it's just uh, has an easygoing vibe to it. Um, you know, it's smallish and manageable, and so and the people were really nice. So it was just a great experience. So I, you know, anybody that goes to Japan, you should definitely swing through Hiroshima and spend a little time there. Awesome. So we've talked about the good. Let's talk about the bad. What do you find to be the most difficult part of the end-to-end -end process of making docs? I try to avoid the bad part. I, I try to let other people work on the bad part. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, the, the, the most difficult part, I would say, is the post-production editing, you know, mm -hmm. because it's always said that uh, the writing of the film for a documentary happens in, you know, in the editing room, right? So it's, it's definitely the most challenging. You're, you're piecing together all this material that you've gathered into a story that's hopefully coherent and also compelling, you know, that um, has a range of emotion 
emotions going on and has impact at various points. So yeah, I, th- I mean, it's, it's challenging, but it, it can also be a lot of fun. So I noticed in all your movies, there seems to be this theme of rebellion from Alyssa's kind of wild rock star lifestyle in the crumbles to Atomic Cafe, which focuses on the LA punk scene to the, even the grassroots street vending community in the music video for Coyote Street Hustle. What fascinates you about revolution and uprising? <laughs> well, isn't everyone fascinated by revolution and uprising? <laughs> Some people are a little bit more square. I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I would ha- I'd have to say that it all really stems from, again, my, my time in high school. You know, those formative years between like 13 and 17. Because, uh, you know, the first bands that I was in were we were playing punk rock music. And so we had that sentiment, but it was also uh, because we really didn't know how to, how to play our instruments that well at that point. Mm-hmm. So we were, you know, doing what we could with them. And we had all this, you know, teenage boy energy. And um, <laughs> of course, if you listen to punk, it's all about rebellion. It's all about, you know, tearing down the system, overthrowing the man and, and all that stuff. And that, going hand in hand with my experience at El Teatro Campesino, you know, next door to my house and all the agitprop theater that was happening there, you know, the fight for, for better working conditions, the better for, you know, all that um, sort of just informed how I was thinking about art and what was possible in terms of, you know, um, in terms of conveying any kind of message, when you have those kinds of influences early on, I don't think they ever really leave. I'm inspired by it because I'm more of a play it safe kind of guy. So it's fun to watch people kind of interact in these wild and kind of rebellious ways. Like you have such interesting subjects in your documentaries, like Atomic Nancy in Atomic Cafe or Cesar Castro's Passion for Chicano Music. How much does making an amazing documentary hinge on having fascinating subjects? Well, I think it's, I think having a fascinating subject is the key ingredient to making a doc. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, it, you know, they're, they're the main character of your story, right? You don't really want to make a story about somebody that is square and boring. <laughs> 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 because I don't think that's going to appeal to very many people. Um, but yeah, the more open they are, you know, it's great to have an open book as a, as a main character, right? Somebody who will let it all hang out, you know, they wear their heart on their sleeves. Um, it's, it's pretty, pretty essential. And if they're not exactly like that, you know, it, it is possible to tease out, um, their, they're more sort of personal, individual qualities, you know, the, the things that make them unique that, that might um, spark interest in viewers, too. So. so how do you find all these interesting documentary subjects? I think every project is different, right? So, for example, the Atomic Nancy piece, that, that was not originally my idea. I was, I was just brought in to initially be the camera guy, right? I was just the cinematographer shooting it. And, um, but over the course of time, I, I was pulled further and further into it until I ended up editing it. 
mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> at the end. And so, um, so yeah, that, that, that's just one example of, of how, like, I did not initiate something, but got pulled into it. And it was really a perfect fit for me. So do you more seek out stuff or does it more come to you like that? Both. Mm-hmm. Like if, if there's something that I'm really interested in, then I will, you know, totally go for it. Um, and other times people will approach me and, you know, and tell me that they know of this person or they think that, that, you know, whatever story would make a great film. So it, it really just depends ideas come, you know, ideas can come from everywhere, right? Sure. (laughs) What's your favorite story about how a documentary subject came to you? Let's see. Well, I guess I can talk about um, Masters of Modern Design, because that was a pretty major project for me. It was my first long form documentary. And I had always wanted to do a long form documentary that involved um, Japanese American history and culture, right? And so KCET, which is the PBS affiliate here in Los Angeles, approached me with this idea to turn this article that had been written by um, this design critic in New York. Her name's Alexandra Lang. Uh, She had written this article uh, for Curbed, which is an online like design and architecture magazine. And it was basically about um, post-war Japanese-American artists and the influence that the concentration camps during World War II had on them and their art, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so they came to me with, <laughs> with the article and you know, basically said, can you make a film uh, you know, about this subject? And um, they had selected like five artists of the many that were included in that article. And I agreed with every one of their choices because they were such amazing artists, right? They, they mm-hmm. chose, actually at the time it was six different artists. And um, yeah, I just thought it was an amazing privilege to be able to get into the lives of these artists, to meet their, their children, you know, meet all the different, you know, experts and curators that, that deal with, their particular forms of art. And so I feel like, yeah, I was really lucky in that respect that, that they found me and it was a good match, you know, because I had done all this other work about artists, specifically Asian American artists in the past. And so, it, yeah, it, it, it just worked out really well. So what would your dream project be if you had no... Uh, money restrictions and no time restrictions. My dream project. I have too many dream projects. Um, <laughs> well, mash them all together. What do you got? Okay. <laughs> well, all right. Um, there is a script that I've worked on recently, actually with Luis Valdez and his son, Kinan Valdez. And it's based on a play that he wrote called Valley of the Heart. And it's a play that is basically a love story that's set during World War II. And the the two main characters are Mexican-American and Japanese-American. And it's basically all about um, their experiences during the war, you know, 
the Japanese American woman being shipped off to a concentration camp and being separated from her husband and their efforts to keep their farm going up in Northern California. And so we've, we've written a, a script and we're currently um, having people read it around town. And so that is the one project currently that I would love to make happen. So is there anything else you're working on right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm, working, on, um, I'm working on another script, another feature-length script. I have other feature-length ideas. I'm also um, working on a documentary about the band Quetzal. Uh, Quetzal, okay, so there's the band Quetzal, and then there's also the person, Quetzal Flores, right? And so I met Quetzal Flores back in the mid-90s in L.A., like I was mentioning, you know, when I was you know, first getting into the East LA art and, and music scene. Mm-hmm. And we have continued to work together all these years. I've made several music videos for his band and he did the music for my independent feature, The Crumbles. And so now um, we're just starting to work on a documentary about the band. And again, it's another um, KCET um, effort initiative. Yeah, sounds great. I love the uh, the music from the Crumbles. Totally rock. Yeah, Quetzal did an amazing job on that, and it was it was fantastic because he recorded that stuff, and then the the same year that we were releasing uh, the Crumbles, you know, showing it in festivals and in independent theaters, um, the band Quetzal won a Grammy. So it was just. Amazing timing. Mm-hmm. So for the documentary filmmaker people out there that are just starting up, what are the key ingredients to distributing a documentary? Well, it all depends on how you uh, initially got your funding, I would say. You know, if, if a broadcaster or a streamer approaches you, then you automatically have distribution. And in my opinion, that is the best route to go because it's the easiest. If you don't have those things, then I would say the festival route is is definitely a great way to get the film out there, to have it seen, to have people appreciate it, and let it build some some traction so that eventually, you know, some entity will hopefully, you know, take interest in it. Mm-hmm. And and put it out that way. Uh, you know, if if you didn't really invest any money in it, any real money, I would say just put it out on the internet. Get people to watch it. Get feedback. You know, that that's like the most important thing to, to learn from every single project that you make. Love it. So I want to end this on a fun note. If you were to get one movie-inspired tattoo, what would it be? So I would say, you know, because of my history with La Bamba, um, I would have to get a tattoo of Isai Morales's face, right? And, you know, he played Bob, yeah. Richie's brother. And my favorite quote of Bob's is, it's not my first or my last. So I'd get that written right underneath Bob's face. All right, cool. Well, I'll get a matching Woody Woodpecker tattoo <laughs> if All you right. get that one. Let's do it. We'll go, we'll go together. Done. Talk about rebellion. So... Akira, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and 
Thanks for being on Forward Filmmaker. Sure. Thank you for having me. Finding an audience can be the greatest challenge a filmmaker can face. FilmHub is the answer to the distribution problems of the film community. FilmHub has helped countless directors get their projects onto major streaming services. So if you are finding the distribution side of filmmaking a frustrating battle, let the number one film distribution platform do the heavy lifting for you. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review Ford Filmmaker on whatever podcast platform you're using. The smallest gesture makes a world of difference, and we so appreciate it. On the next episode of Ford Filmmaker, we'll be talking with director Michelle Elin about how to use comedy to illuminate serious topics.